Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Square One. A podcast where we take our guests back to square one, where they first started their business, so that you can learn from their successes and failures. Brought to you by Isaiah and Malcolm with Omni Home Services. Today, we have the honor of talking to Mr. John Lawrence. He is a partner at Chattanooga Whiskey, which we all love and adore John and Chattanooga Whiskey. So uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on today, dude. Thanks for having me. You should adore the uh, the whiskey much more than me. Trust me, it's, uh, it's way better. We do. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we're just going to get right to it, John. You've been at Chattanooga Whiskey for 10 years. Correct. I'd love to hear, I know I'd butcher the story, but originally this was made in Indiana, bottled in Nashville, and you guys brought it to Chattanooga. Tell us that story, dude. It's cool. Yeah, it's an awesome story. So we started this company in 2011, and we have a really unique story, as I was telling Isaiah a little bit earlier. Uh, It was illegal to distill in Chattanooga when we started the company, but we found out that pre-prohibition, Chattanooga was actually one of the largest distilling cities in North America. So we had over 30 distilleries in downtown alone. We had over 70 wholesalers. Uh, Believe it or not, a lot of people don't know this, but Four Roses was actually distilled in Chattanooga for a very short stint. Uh, So as most people do in 2011, when they want to start a company, they go to Facebook. And so Tim, our CEO and founder, posted a question on Facebook that said, would you drink Chattanooga whiskey? And this is my favorite part of the story uh, because this went viral around Chattanooga. There were thousands of shares on Facebook. Then the media started calling. Then distributors started calling. But we had no product, no plan, uh, no money to start a company. So what do you do in that situation? We created a demand for something that didn't exist. So we found a distillery out of Indiana known as LDI. is up in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. And we sourced uh, about 20 barrels of whiskey, bottled it up threw a label on it, called it Chattanooga Whiskey 1816, and a distributor here locally, Athens Distributing, wrote us a purchase order on a napkin, said, we want this product, we'll do everything we can in our power to push it. And uh, without that napkin, we probably wouldn't be here today. So he bought uh, all of our inventory, so we were able to pay back our investor. And uh, we just kept buying from from Indiana. We slowly opened up Georgia and South Carolina. And next thing you know, we, we had a brand. But our main goal was to start making whiskey in Chattanooga. But unfortunately, that was it was illegal. It was illegal since Prohibition. So Jack Daniels, George Dickel, and Pritchards were really the only ones who could legally distill in the state. Why? Well, they were grandfathered in. Oh. They were making for medicinal purposes during Prohibition. So those guys were able to legally distill. And then in 2009, Old Smoky Moonshine, who you guys I'm sure are familiar with, and a company called Corsair and Collier and McKeel out of Davidson County, Nashville, changed the distilling laws for their municipalities only. And we were like, well, if they're able to do it, we should be able to do it too. So we actually lobbied ourselves. You can check us out online. If you search vote whiskey, it'll bring up Chattanooga Whiskey's lobbying to fight you know, century-old distilling laws for the state of Tennessee. And so in 2013, we ended up changing the distilling laws, not just for Chattanooga, but majority of the counties in the state of Tennessee. So that was a huge thing to kind of hang our hat on is being these guys, these, you know, new craft brand, young dudes who essentially fought Jack Daniels and some of these big guys and and Old Smokey to bring whiskey back to Chattanooga because we had such a rich history. And so here we are today, 12 years later, but our main goal, obviously, was to start making our own whiskey and, uh, 
in August of 2019, we transitioned over to our own distillate, which is what you see in stores locally and across 16 states uh, in the in uh, the U.S. now. Wow. Wow. So lot. how many, I guess you would count it barrels, right? Yeah. How many barrels do you guys make now? So we have the experimental distillery, which you guys might see across in the choo-choo. That place only yields one barrel a day or one barrel a week. Excuse me. Whoa. So we changed the law in 2013. In 2014, we hired Grant McCracken. He was the head of R&D and head brewer from Sam Adams out of Boston. And we brought him to Chattanooga, interviewed him. He's the perfect fit. And we put him in a little 5,000 square foot experimental distillery. And obviously doing a barrel a week, you can't be the next big thing, right? But we use this experimental distillery as a facility to start doing R&D. So Grant said, no one's using specialty malts in bourbon. And obviously brewers utilize specialty malts in a lot of their stuff. And so we, we started putting away different recipes at the experimental distillery, which was a barrel a week. But then we opened up our new facility on Riverfront that we can do about uh, seven barrels a day. So wow. um, we're putting away close to 2,000 barrels a year over there, 2,100, somewhere in there. And uh, we are one of the largest craft bourbon producers in the state and the country. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that you guys still had the experimental site. That's cool. Yep. Do you still do taste testings there? Absolutely. We're still doing research and development there. We're still putting away different recipes there every week. So cool. you might see some experimental releases that come out. They never go into distribution. But yeah, we're putting away different recipes and we do tours seven days a week. And you're still doing the flights? Doing the flights. That was uh, That's a hell of a deal, the flights. You know, it's uh, you walk out of there feeling a little bit lighter than you did when you walked in. It's good stuff. So, John, a lot of companies that we've talked to, and I feel like it's especially applicable with you guys, you guys have seen like a lot of success in a relatively short amount of time. So that it factor, man, what do you think is the main contributor to the success that you've been able to experience as a company? For us, we had to separate ourselves from every other bourbon on the shelf, right? And with Grant coming in and, and utilizing specialty malts, we coined and trademarked Tennessee High Malt. So that's our style of bourbon that we do. No one else can do it. It's unique to us. So for us, we had to separate ourselves from everybody. And, and that's what we did. And I would say for the first you know, five or so years, we were just a marketing company. We weren't making money. We were putting Chattanooga whiskey everywhere we possibly could. We used to drive this old truck around town with Chattanooga whiskey barrels in the back, and we were just trying to grow the brand. But trademarking Tennessee High Malt is, is what has probably made us the most successful because when we were selling our Indiana whiskey, we were a growing brand. But when we really stuck our flag in the ground with Tennessee High Malt, that's when we took off. But if you consider 12 years a short amount of time to us, it feels like we've been doing this 100 years. <laughs> uh, I agree with Isaiah. It does look like a quick expansion. I mean, you guys went from selling Indiana whiskey to two locations. I mean, you guys now bought the former site of... Uh, Newton Chevrolet. Newton Chevrolet. And you occupy its showroom, and now you have a venue and all that stuff. So you said uh, one of the extreme successes also is, and we were talking earlier, the product is good, yeah, right? So that like is easy for us to sell. And you guys are in a ton of states now. But you also said that you sell more whiskey in Chattanooga than Jack Daniels. Yeah, so Jack Daniels 750s, right? We sell more Chattanooga whiskey, uh, outsells Jack Daniels 750s, and we also outsell Woodford here locally. That's phenomenal. Goodness gracious. I mean, do you, obviously Chattanooga whiskey is the name, and... 
Chattanooga is just behind you guys. Mm-hmm. How was such a strong? I don't know what yeah. the word would be. The following locally. Yeah. Well, it's, it started when we changed the laws. When we started the vote whiskey campaign, we give all of our thanks to the local community. The local community came out and supported us at the courthouse that actually helped pass the law for us to take this vote to the state. So it had to pass at a county level. And I think we had over like 500 people locally show wow. up to the courthouse to rally for Chattanooga whiskey to actually be made in Chattanooga. So we've had the community support really since the beginning. And I think when we were selling our Indiana whiskey, again, Chattanooga whiskey made in Indiana, bottled in Nashville, we had some fans, but you know, I don't think everyone wanted it to be made here. And so when we finally made it in Chattanooga, the brand just took off. That's awesome. I want to ask kind of a similar question as Malcolm, and I'll just relate a quick story here. Colby that you met downstairs, we went on a business trip not too terribly long ago and we were in Dallas and went to go pick up some good liquid for us and we noticed that chat whiskey was on the shelf which we both like looked at each other and we realized this is like the only representation that our city has in anything that we would see here right and just being like from Chattanooga that's really nice to see with you and your team how does it feel to you guys to know that like you're putting Chattanooga as a city on the map and other places by the hard work that you've put in? There is no better feeling in the world than knowing that we're supporting our local community. I mean, truly, I think uh, Tim, who's the CEO and founder, is born and raised in Chattanooga. I'm born and raised in Chattanooga. And to represent the our city with a really quality, complex product you know, Rock City is another one. Everyone knows Rock City, right? And now people are starting to know Chattanooga whiskey from Chattanooga. And so being able to be on a shelf in Texas or Colorado and actually see the product moving, right? It's not just sitting there collecting dust. People are are trying this product and it's cool to see that we have people come to the experimental distillery who've tried the product in some of our outside markets because they actually wanted to see how the product was so good. We, they wanted to see how it's made because they became fans just from buying it off a shelf. And then they come to Chattanooga and then they call my wife, who's a real estate agent, and they want to move here. So it's pretty cool to see. Like You'd be shocked at how many referrals I give my wife from people that are Chattanooga whiskey fans that live in California who are buying it online and they just want to come see the distillery. And next thing you know, they fall in love with the city. So it's pretty cool. It's um, It feels great. And it feels great that we're representing Chattanooga with a really quality product, not just uh, some guys who are trying to put liquid in a bottle to make money. It's We truly, truly want to represent this city to the best of our ability. Dude, that's such a compliment to like you and Chattanooga whiskey. It gives me like literal chill. <laughs> that's bumps. awesome. Man. I'm like, damn, I want to be like this right here. It's so, cool. Thanks. Um, shout out to your wife, Ashley Lawrence. She's a great real estate agent, by the way. Um, let's dive into some problems that you've experienced, what our Square One podcast is about. And we talk about a failure that you've uh, learned from. On your sheet here, thanks for filling that out. Um, it says one of the things is you've struggled at, you know, trying to be a perfectionist and stressing to that. I mean, I feel like we all need to be not perfect, but we need to be the best versions of ourselves. So tell us about like how you struggle with that. Well, you know, I think everybody wants to do their best work possible, and a lot of people can get kind of just high strung or stressed out when they have 
you know, things they need to be doing. Everything's going to happen the way it should is kind of the, the mentality that I have. Finally, I would say for a long time, especially building a brand, you want everything to be perfect. You need it. And things never go the way you plan. Even, you know, if I don't know if you guys are married, I know you are, but when you plan a wedding, you have all these expectations that it should go this way and it never goes that way. And it's okay. So I think when you're building a brand, you get caught up in these details that seem to be much bigger when in all actuality, they're actually not. So by trying to be a perfectionist or stressing out, you know, I consider that a failure, but if you can really take your time, step back and just let, you know, let the universe do what it's supposed to do and just be patient and not try to just go, 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 sit back, let the things happen the way they're supposed to be. And, and the brand will do what it's supposed to do. So I, I feel like being a perfectionist is definitely, can definitely be a failing trait in my opinion. I totally get that. But we've found that the people really win when you have the right team. So, like, you have a pretty large team at Chattanooga Whiskey, right? Mm -hmm. We have about 50 employees now. Okay. So, surrounding yourself by good with good people, I mean, that's probably the key in the success is it's you and a lot of other people involved. Correct. I am one blimp on the radar. I mean, honestly... The production team is is the reason we're here today. They have made all of our jobs easier because of the product they're making. It's our job to get it to move off a shelf, and that's that's what I do, and that's what several others do. Well, we appreciate you being humble. Agree, it's a great product, but you are the VP of business development for a reason. <laughs> and I do want to say that, uh, you know, you guys have put in a lot of hard work. We just talked earlier that I remember, God, what was it? Uh, probably seven, eight years ago or something like that. You were literally outside in December, freezing cold, and you were scraping an old sign off of a window to put a Chattanooga whiskey yeah. sticker on it. Yep. I mean, the fact is we have to put in hard work. Absolutely. And I think I actually saw you not too long ago driving a truck with like barley or something in the back of it. Could have been. Could have been. I don't know if it was me, but I guarantee it was someone from the company. We all kind of look alike over there. Right on. Right on. But so Isaiah like loves talking about routines, especially yeah. if they're morning routines. You said your new morning routine or routine itself has changed your life. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about that. Man, I, and I can kind of, it's kind of two parts. There's a book that you guys asked what I recommended. It's called Atomic Habits. And, uh, you know, prior to even having Jack, my son, my morning routine was just get up and just get everything done that you can possibly get done. There was really no structure to it. So really for the first time in my life, I've, I've really implemented structure and so has my wife. And it's just the be been the best thing ever for us. Meditation has been a, a huge, um, awakening for me, if you will. So every morning for me, my morning routine is, I wake up, you know, 6.30, I chug water. I, I always put my water on my bedside table the night before, chug that water all the way down, clear out the system, and then I go straight into a meditation. And that has been a reoccurring theme for quite a while now. And uh, after that meditation, I get up, I go make my coffee. And with the book that I mentioned, Atomic Habits, which I encourage anyone to read that book. They call it habit stacking. When I wake up, I drink water. When I drink water, I meditate. When I meditate, I go get coffee. So it's just really having a true structure to everything you do. And I've never been a meditator. I've never really been a morning person. And to have kind of this time to myself to really gather my thoughts and just kind of quiet my brain before I go into the day has truly changed my life. Because it's 
my routine prior to this, I would say, would be wake up, look at my phone, you know? <laughs> right. Oh yeah. my God, I got emails that I got to answer, you know, and you're just right out of the gate. You're just going, you're going mad. And so meditation's really helped me calm everything. Would you explain to us if you don't want to, you don't have to, but how do you meditate? Oh, it's yeah, of course. Uh, for me, there was an app that I started with called waking up and it is you know, some people will sit Indian style and put their hand. That's not me. <laughs> I sit up in bed. Ashley's already doing yoga in the front. That's her routine. She wakes up, she does yoga, she meditates, she writes. And I just go to, uh, I just hop up, put my bed against my, my back against the backboard, sit there and just get as comfortable as possible and close my eyes and just try to cut off any thoughts that are coming in and just completely have a quiet mind. And it has changed everything for me. Do you set a timer? Yeah, I do actually. Okay. So I do 20 minutes a day and that timer, there's a gong that goes off on the app. Uh, yes. and that's, well, that's, and man, sometimes it'll just it'll scare you. You know, you get so deep and just this quiet place and it's phenomenal. So I encourage anyone who's ever thought about it. I mean, for years I tried to meditate, right? Just closing my eyes and I'm just being inundated with data and thoughts and all this stuff just coming in and out of my mind. And meditation is, uh, when you really learn how to do it, uh, it can change everything. And it's been wonderful. It's really cool to hear about that. Yeah. I think that we're hearing more and more people in professional spaces talk about meditating. And just like the positive impact that it has on their life personally, but also leading into our next question, how it helps them in a professional, you know, like capacity on the day to day, right? So if you start that morning out right, then you're more likely to really make some big plays moving through the rest of the day. So on that note, John, you see people a lot face to face. All day. There we go. Every day. Good conversations. Could you help us out with, let's say I'm an inspiring entrepreneur and I want to know What's a good tactic to gain some immediate revenue in the ball field of being able to talk with people? Sales, how is that your specialty? Help us out a little bit with that. This one, you know, for me is is easy because selling comes second in everything you do. I mean, truly, you are not going to sell a thing, even if it's the best product on the in the world, unless you have a relationship with somebody, right? So for me, and I think what's made me successful in the past is really being genuine and caring about who, who the people are that you're dealing with, talking to these people, getting to understand their family dynamic, how they got to where they are, you know, and just really asking the questions about you, right. Versus just jumping right into a product. This is Chattanooga whiskey. And it's like, <laughs> no, no. I mean, there's thousands of whiskeys out there, you know? So to me, it's really developing, it's so simple. It's, it's really just asking how people are, right? It's being genuinely interested in what is going on in these people's lives and how you can help them if they need it or just be there for them, you know, and by asking the right questions and being genuine, I think can lead to the sale if you're trying to get the sale. Right. But I think being a real person in a real place with a real product is so important, you know, so you'll see here that I had put something on my notes called fast muscle twitch. And I think I saw you circle that with a big question mark. <laughs> so what the hell is fast muscle twitch? So when I first moved back to Chattanooga from, from UT, from Knoxville, I went to college up in Knoxville and I took a logistics job as, as most do in this city. 
And these guys came up with the phrase fast muscle twitch. And I truly believe this true is one of the best strategies to success still. And fast muscle twitch is be the first to answer the phone, right? Be the first to answer the phone, be the first to pick up the phone, be the first to answer an email, be the first to respond. It is just doing everything. When, when a customer is calling or when there is a client in need, you're there without them even thinking twice. You are if, if they're thinking about calling you, you're calling them. So you have this fast muscle twitch to essentially pick up and go after what you want to kind of just be the first there, right? To be top of mind. So fast muscle twitch was uh, something I learned early on. And if there are people listening to this podcast that worked for this company, I would say that they'd probably agree that this was one of the better tactics they use as well. You know, I, I've seen, it's funny in, in real estate, you know, they get these lead calls all the time. If you don't pick up that phone first, if you don't have that fast muscle twitch, someone else is going to pick up that phone. And so I think that just being really quick to respond and quick to answer goes a long way because it shows your clients. And this kind of goes to what I was saying earlier, that relationships, you got to be the first one there. You got to be there for them when they need you. You got to be the first one to the, you know, to the door. And so fast muscle twitch is just really reacting quickly when the opportunity is there. Well, I'll say that's a hell of a takeaway, especially in the world we live in right now where people think, you know, things get handed to them or they're like, sure, I'll return your call. Yeah, or no like, way. I'm going to just wait a day to return your text or whatever it is. Like people don't want that. Absolutely not. I don't want that. No, same. And when people need something and they're calling you, yeah. you pick up the phone, right? And you don't call them back later. If you're on a call, you call them back right when you hang up that call. So I think being, you know, quick to respond and quick to, to answer is the most important way to gain someone's trust and to ultimately close a deal. You heard it here. Fast muscle twitch. We are coming up closer to the end, John, but I do want to talk about what makes, what stands Chattanooga whiskey out. You, you said it's a superior product mm -hmm. and we talked a little bit about using different chars or different. Tell us what real quickly, why Chattanooga whiskey is better than other whiskeys. Yeah, man. It's easy for me to answer, obviously, because I'm, I'm very close to it. But I've obviously tried probably 75% of every whiskey that's on the shelf, right? Because we do a lot of tastings in R&D to figure out, you know, how we can be better. Uh, so what makes us so different and what's better, in my opinion, is we've, you know, traditional bourbon has been around forever. And so when Grant came in, we wanted to push the envelope on traditional bourbon and make it our own. So Chattanooga whiskey is utilizes specialty malts, which is more flavorful. Um, most bourbons are three grains. Chattanooga whiskey is four grains. Most bourbons or whiskeys are use one barrel. We use two barrels. We use different chars and toast. Most distilleries do three-day fermentations. We do seven. So we've essentially just pushed the envelope to try and first kind of nod to traditional bourbons and, and, and distillery practices and make it our own. And so we're the only, only distillery in the country that we know of who is utilizing specialty malts and utilizing long, cold fermentations, utilizing different types of barrels, toast and chars. And so for those reasons right there, and we're $34.99, got to throw that plug. So we're one of the most <laughs> affordable complex craft whiskeys out there too. How do you keep the price, like we're talking about $75, $85, $95 bottles of whiskey that we'll get because they're good. Sure. So why is Chattanooga whiskey still so affordable? Yeah. I urge you guys and all the listeners to search whiskey to the people. Since the beginning, we have 
one of our main mottos is whiskey to the people. And that's a quality product at an affordable price point. Uh, sure. Our cost of goods are, are high, right? But those 70, 80, 90, hundred dollar bottles of whiskey you might be buying are made by someone else and then bottled by somebody else. Similar to how we were doing at the beginning to give you an example. Well, I'm not going to give you an example, but there's whiskeys <laughs> out there who, uh, you know, that when we started, I'll, I'll tell you this, we could buy barrels of whiskey at three years old for about 350 to $500. This was in 2012, 13. If you were to go buy a three-year product or three-year barrels from Indiana or some of these other manufacturers who make whiskey for other people, you're paying close to $2,300 a barrel now. So hence why these craft whiskeys who actually don't distill their own product have high price points because they're buying a much more expensive product than they were before the bourbon boom. So we were in before the bourbon boom, which was another reason I think we were successful because we're not a new craft brand. And so even though our cost of goods are high with malted grains, to give you an example, raw rye goes for 10 cents a pound, malted rye goes for a dollar a pound. But we are so firm on whiskey to the people because you know, it's who we are. We want to have something that people can afford and enjoy with friends versus having a $90 bottle that you might not want to share with somebody because you spent $90. We want you to buy our product in the mid thirties price range to share with friends. That's what whiskey and drinking is for. Is it okay if we don't share with friends and just enjoy ourselves? <laughs> That's fine too. It's to each their own. But whiskey to the people is sharing with friends because it's a quality product that you're not having to bend over backwards to afford. Then that's where we stand and always will. Tell us about the international award you guys just got. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So this was cool. This gets me excited as a sales guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's one of the biggest accolades you can receive in the industry. And uh, Whiskey Magazine is a huge worldwide publication. And each year they do these awards, uh, whether it's best bourbon of the year, best this of the year, best that of the year, best brand ambassador. I mean, they dive deep. And so we submitted for Craft Distiller of the Year, as, as everybody does. Every, every company submits for this award. So we got a phone call that said that we've been shortlisted for Craft Producer of the Year North America. And um, they asked us to come up to Louisville, Kentucky, which is the belly of the beast. So myself, our distiller, our CEO and founder, and two others all drove up to Louisville and we received a Craft Producer of the Year North America. We actually beat out a Sazerac brand, which is the Bowman Brothers, who is Whoa. pretty big deal. And we're, you know, we're freaking out. We're having the best night of our life, you know. Get back to Chattanooga, holding the award in hand, and we're, we're so pumped about it. And we get a call about two weeks later asking us to go to London because we've been shortlisted for Craft Producer of the Year worldwide. And so we ended up sending our head distiller and our creative director to London, and uh, we won Craft Producer of the Year worldwide. So for us, super congratulations! Which it's cool, man. man. Which you know, for us being these little guys who wanted to bring whiskey back to Chattanooga, and now we're being recognized on a worldwide scale as craft whiskey producer of the year. This was huge for us. And I got chill bumps again. Yeah, me too. I <laughs> get it every awesome. time. And, and to be able to go out and tell this story because our story is so complex. To be able to go out into the market and with my team and, and with the reps that we have to go out and tell that story that we're, you know, the craft producer of the year, it's pretty sweet. Um, and it's helped us continue to grow. I noticed that you talked some about leaders during this uh, segment today. Do you have one or two standout leaders in your life that you kind of look to? I always go to 
people locally who have kind of gotten me to where I am. Um, you might have heard the name Ted Alling, Barry Large, Alan Davis. Those guys started Lamppost Company, which is who I used to work for. I used to work for a logistics company that they started. Um, and so without those guys and learning fast muscle twitch and learning some of these things that I still use today, I probably wouldn't be where I am. But I will say, and I'm not just saying this, Tim Pearson, the founder and CEO of uh, Chattanooga Whiskey, was actually my neighbor. Um, so I had no whiskey background, neither did he really, but he was my neighbor. And, uh, I remember sitting on his porch when he offered me the job saying, I'm going to do this with you forever, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go to another career and to see how he has handled successes and failures and, and emotions of 50 different employees in my eyes. And this is no bullshit. He is the best leader I've probably ever worked with because he is, he doesn't have he doesn't have it all together, right? But he makes it work, and he surrounds himself with the right people, and he makes sure he hires the right people to make to make sure that we can keep this ship sailing and, and sailing in the right direction. He is a true CEO and leader. Who twenty years from now, I don't know where any of us will be, but I will definitely adapt to his style of managing and um, performing. So he's done a phenomenal job. So Tim Pearson and the Lampus guys are two people I will continue to look up to the day I die. That's strong. I have to uh, weigh in here uh, because we love the fact of like surrounding yourself with good people and really trying to bring people to the organization that are good, um, good people because they just end up being great for the organization. But I'm curious no whiskey background. You're sitting on the guy's front porch. What was your, I mean, what was your job? Man. So the very beginning? here's the craziest story and, and I'll, I'll try to keep this short. So I work for the logistics company. My sister lives in New Zealand. As any 23 year old does, you go to college and you know, then you get your job and I wanted a sabbatical, you know, I wanted that sabbatical to go travel. And when I quit Access America, which was the logistics company I worked for, they said, we just invested in this whiskey company with this guy, Tim Pearsant, and we think you might be a great fit for him. And I was like, that's my neighbor. And I didn't even know Tim had started this company yet. And so I sold my car. I sold all the stuff I had in my house to move to New Zealand for a year and um, met with Tim. And I was like, you know, but I'm going to New Zealand for years. Like, well, I want to bring you on. He said, why don't you go to New Zealand for three months, four months, and then come back and you can be my first sales guy. So I started as just a regular sales rep. I mean, had no whiskey background, had no idea how whiskey was made. Uh, I was just a natty light college drinking fraternity <laughs> kid, you know? And uh, now I'm selling whiskey, you know? So I went to New Zealand, I came back. And uh, before I had left for New Zealand, yeah, Tim and I were sitting on his front porch and being 23, you know, a lot of people, I've only had two jobs, really. You know, I worked for a logistics company. I've been with Chattanooga Whiskey. I mean, obviously I had my college internships and stuff like that, but uh, I meant that when I told him I will be here till the end with you. Um, and so with no whiskey background, he worked for his dad at a manufacturing facility. He had no background. He's not a serial entrepreneur. But I trusted the guy and he's trusted me and we've created a badass relationship and bond over these past 10 years that I've been there. So it's been a, been a wild journey. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And, and you've worked your ass off to get to where you're at. Absolutely. So that's, that's no yeah. I, uh, I travel a lot, but we're building the brand and you got to beat the streets. It doesn't happen overnight and it, it's not going to happen unless you put in the work. So you've had a journey chat whiskey has had a journey from start to where you are now as far as 
just some really cool stuff, some exciting moments, some moments that you highlighted earlier that maybe were able to be learned from. If you could take yourself back to square one, what would that look like? Well, um, you know, taking it back to square one, I think that for me, no one has it all figured out. It's kind of how I've talked about this. No one has it all figured out and there's no such thing as getting rich quick, right? Which in my eyes, when I was my younger self was idolizing these CEOs and entrepreneurs because they're going to, they have it all figured out. No one has it all figured out. I finally was able to come to terms that years ago that everyone's marching, you know, at their own pace. And some people might come from certain backgrounds and they have this and they have that. Uh, so going back to square one, my real thoughts is just to slow down and, and kind of take every day as it comes and be you, be yourself, be your authentic self and good things will happen. So before we end with parting words, a special shout out to your wife, Ashley Lawrence, your brother and his wife, Michael and Marie Lawrence, love them. Great. And your parents, Doug and Sherry Lawrence, they've obviously done a great job raising an awesome family. Oh, thanks. Uh, but on that note, is there anything else that you would like to tell the few listeners that we have? Oh, no. I mean, this. I think it's uh, super cool what you guys are doing. You're building a brand as well. It's funny. I was listening to the podcast yesterday coming in after Tom Ferry. It's like, and Tom uh -huh. Ferry, and then it's like, and John Lawrence. Like, who the hell is John Lawrence? You got Tom Ferry. So that's a hard act to follow. Uh, Don't compare yourself with others. Oh, you yeah, I know. Well, I, there you go. Exactly. But uh, just, to, just to thank you guys. To, I think it's super cool what you guys are doing. You guys are obviously doing incredible work. You're a huge asset. It's an honor to sit in this chair and hang out with you guys and tell you a little bit about my life and to learn a bit about you. I can't thank you enough for that compliment. We really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Dave. Thanks for appreciate having me. You. you guys are great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Square One Podcast, a podcast brought to you by Omni Home Services, where we rep Chattanooga Home Inspector, Nuclear Pest Control, Elevate Home Staging and Design, and Radon Eraser. We release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode.